So Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Therefore, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, and that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thanks very much. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, oh, that's nice. Um, it's been a real joy and a privilege to uh, be working through this series together with you, and so I, I do trust that it's been helpful, um, it's been fruitful, um, and this is our, our last one as we finish up. Um, but I wanted to start with just a couple of bits and pieces um, that I wanted to include somewhere else in the series and just couldn't fit. Um, so they're just going here because today's a little bit shorter. Um, the first one is just to let you know, uh, we'll have a little question time at the end today. Again, hoping today's a bit shorter, there'll be some time for that. So if you've had questions along the way and you want to ask them, that'll be a nice time to try and get through some of those. Um, but next, I have a pair of quotes um, that I thought were rippers. I've been given a number of quotes I've thought are good throughout, and I've got two more that I did share on the Wednesday last week, but I know many couldn't make it to that, so I just wanted to stick them in somewhere. Um, the first one is from this guy, Herman Bavink, um, and I don't want you to see the quote yet, so I won't put it up. Um, often, when, when the Trinity comes up, um, a whole swathe of illustrations come to mind, right? Um, we might think about water or, or three-leaf clovers or eggs, um, even spin bowling, perhaps. Um, but the problem with all of these is if, if we say the Trinity is like them, we fall into various unhelpful heresies, uh, untrue claims about who God is and what He's like. All of those illustrations that you might have heard get something or many things deeply wrong. And so Bavink has this pithy little saying, I think, that shows us why these are appealing and points us to a better way to articulate some of this. So I'll put it up now. He says, the Trinity is wholly unlike anything else, but everything else is like the Trinity. What he's saying, our, our triune God is not like eggs or water, but water and eggs uh, and photons and colors and music, all kinds, of, they are all a little bit like our triune God. Our world is full of expressions of diversity in unity and unity in diversity. And in this way, everything, I think, as we look at it, points us towards something of the wonderful unity and diversity in our triune God, while none of those things come even close 
to really being like him, in the wonder and glory and ultimate incomprehensibility of his triune nature. So that's one just little tidbit to start with. Um, The second one is a quote from Gregory of Nazianzus, a bit older, from the 4th century. Uh, This is a quote uh, that John Calvin, the reformer, said, greatly delighted him, uh, and it delights me too. Greg says, I cannot think on the one without quickly being encircled by the splendor of the three, nor can I discern the three without being straightaway carried back to the one. And my prayer is that our experience would be just like that as we contemplate our God in his unbreakable unity, one God we worship, and his diverse personhood, three persons, that we wouldn't be able to stop being drawn back and forth between these two equally true, equally beautiful, equally essential truths about our God. One final little bits and pieces before we get to the meat of today. Um, And it's fitting, I think, after the two I've put up. I wanted to acknowledge something I've felt and you might have felt as we've gone through this series. I've quoted a lot of different people from throughout the centuries, all of whom were men. Um, Unfortunately, through my prep for this series, I I honestly couldn't find any really rich and faithful interaction with the Trinity by female theologians. And so if you're a woman in the room and might be thinking at all about uh, theological research, may I encourage you um, that there's perhaps a unique opportunity for you there. That would be a great blessing. Um, But also if you know of any women who've done good thought on this, I'd love to read them. Please point me to them. Um, I couldn't find. So I just wanted to acknowledge that, that, that that's a bit of a shame of our current standing in the theological space. That's the bits and pieces onto today's sermon. So if you missed all that, that's totally fine. Um, as I've mentioned, uh, we've met a number of people throughout this week, uh, these couple of weeks, uh, particularly if you came on Wednesday, heaps there. Uh, but I've got one last person I'd like to introduce you to, someone who is a little bit closer to home, uh, and someone who I've actually mentioned already on this very stage in the past, a wonderful young man named Howard Guinness. Howard abandoned his studies in medicine uh, to work with university students in Oxford, uh, in the UK, and other universities to help establish student ministries there, uh, student groups committed to the good news of Jesus as taught in the Bible and who wanted to share that good news with their friends. Uh, The students at those UK universities that Howard worked at were so thankful for Howard's work with them that they bought him a one-way ticket and shipped him off to Canada (laughs) at 25. And in Canada, Howard did more of what he had been doing in England. He kept planting student groups who knew and loved Jesus and his word and wanted to tell others. And you know what the student groups in Canada did? A year later, they shipped him off again to Australia. And arriving here in 1930... Howard went to the Sydney University and there, quite famously for the Evangelical Union there, he brought the Sydney University Bible League out of the bell tower to read the Bible, not just with themselves, but with their friends and to proclaim the gospel boldly, a vision that has continued on that campus for 93 years. But again, Howard didn't stop in Sydney. Howard travelled all around Australia, establishing groups in Melbourne and Brisbane and Hobart. And then he goes back to England for a bit just to get kicked out again. He comes back in 1933. He established groups in Perth and Adelaide, 
groups that together combined in 1936 to form the Australian InterVarsity Fellowship, the group that would become AFES, the national movement which NCS Coast, the ministry I work with, is a part of, a ministry which was foundational in me coming to know and love Jesus more. It's a movement that has impacted countless lives around our country for a century. But I don't want us to dwell on Howard as I tell you this story, but I want you to consider why on earth, I should have a blank in between, that's a spoiler, why on earth would a young doctor with a prestigious and profitable medical career ahead of him, why would he leave England? Why would he leave Canada? Why would he travel Australia just to get university students gathered around God's word? Ultimately, it's because of the gospel of our triune God. It is the Trinity displayed, and displayed in and essential to the gospel we saw two weeks ago. The Trinity understood by saints throughout history from Wednesday night. The Trinity we worship and adore we heard about last week. It's the Trinity that drove Howard and has driven missionaries throughout the centuries. That is driving Sam and Danny. Are they here this morning? They're not. They're coming to 10.30, I think. You've met Sam and Danny. They're wonderful. That's driving them to Central Asia, Right? It's when we reflect on the Trinity that we are going to be driven to self-sacrificial evangelism, our Trinitarian mission. A prologue for today uh, is that we ought to remember that it is God's triune love that drove him to save us, to bring us forgiveness and adoption and eternal life. Uh, we, we saw a lot of this last week, but I want to remind you, um, John 17, 3, Jesus, as he prays to his father, says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. And, and why is it that we were given this, this eternal life through knowledge of God? Well, I hope you remember John 17, 26, I, the Son, have made you, the Father, known to them and will continue to make you known, that's our eternal life, in order that the love you have for me, says Jesus, may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus made the Father known in the gospel, in his life, death and resurrection. And he continues to make the Father known as his gospel is declared by the Spirit through his people across the generations. This this grand rescue project, uh, the Father's sending of the Son and the Father and the Son's joint sending of the Spirit, this plan for eternal life through knowledge of the triune God, salvation for us was all so that God's intra-Trinitarian love could be shared. Remember, coming in today, it is the love of the Trinity that motivated the salvation of all people. But the main thrust for today, as we is, it's going to come as we come and, and look at this radical rescue project through the lens, the Trinitarian lens that it provides. As we see in the incarnation of the Son, God himself leave his comfort zone and become like the other in order to save us. The resurrected Jesus, as he met his disciples in the upper room, he greets them with these, I think, insane words that are kind of our key verse for this morning. John 20, 21, 
peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent the Son, so the Son sends us. And we're going to unpack what that looks like together. Uh, You might like to flick with me to Philippians 2 that was read for us earlier. And we're going to see there, the Son left his comfort zone to save sinners. I'll put it in inverted commas. I don't know. Uh, Anyway, you'll be right. Philippians 2, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality of God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ being in very nature God, being everything that God is, dwelling in heaven, experiencing the perfect love of Father and Spirit, unbound by the limitations of physicality and humanity. He left that glory behind. He emptied himself, not becoming less than God, but but by gladly adding frail humanity to his eternal Godhood. Sometimes my wife will ask me to do something, right? Uh, To mow the lawn, to wash the dishes, tidy the house. Uh, These are all opportunities for me to express my love for her. Um, She loves a tidy home. And yet, to my shame, so often I am far too comfortable on the couch to jump at these opportunities, right? And yet... The eternally beloved son. He leapt from the proverbial couch of heaven to give himself up for us. What a love. What a cost. That the son would leave heaven to save us. And I think this ought to be a real challenge for us. How willing are we to leave where we're at? to step outside our comfort zone, uh, to do what Rico Tice describes in, in, in a book, Honest Evangelism. He calls cross the pain line for the sake of others, for the sake of sharing the gospel with those who don't yet know Jesus. It was while we were God's enemies that God the Son left heaven behind to bring us the good news of the kingdom, the good news of his death that he would die for us and of his resurrection from the dead. What are you willing to do to see the gospel go out? What comforts might you be willing to sacrifice? The central coast here is a beautiful place to live, right? Would you be willing to go somewhere less beautiful? Somewhere smaller, without as many shops and restaurants? Or maybe that's the reason you came. Maybe like me, you've left Sydney, you want somewhere smaller. Would you consider somewhere bigger? Somewhere with worse traffic, with taller buildings, with more dense people, somewhere without beautiful beaches, somewhere without good coffee. Some... <laughs> that was a no for those who didn't hear. Somewhere where people don't 
speak your language or eat your food or fit your culture, what might you be willing to give up so that the gospel may go out to the lost who desperately need the saving love of our triune God? In Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 8, Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. For whose sake might you become poor, just like our Lord Jesus God, the Son, in order that those who are spiritually poor may become rich, just as Christ has made you rich by His Spirit. The Son left His comfort zone to save sinners. Might you be willing to do likewise? I want you to come with me now to Hebrews, uh, where we see even more of the Son's mission for salvation, His manner as He goes about it. There we're going to see that the Son became like us to save us. Uh, Hebrews 2, 17. I tell you to come with me, but then I put it on screen. Um, For this reason, He, that is Jesus, the Son, had to be made like them, like humans, descendants of Abraham, fully human in every way, in order that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. We're told a little more, Hebrews 4, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. The Son didn't just leave his comfort zone of heaven, but he became like us. He took on flesh. He became fully human, just as we are in every way, yet without sin. He didn't come in power with legions of angels. He didn't come with the persistent glory that is glimpsed for just a moment at the transfiguration. He didn't just look human as he came to earth, but became fully, truly, completely human. He became like us in all our frailties to save us. The king did not parade through town in chariot and royal robes, but got down in the dirt with peasants. And we see this same pattern of life in the mission of Paul, again in Corinthians, this time 1 Corinthians 9, though I am free and belong to no one, Paul says, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, although myself I am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. Just like our Lord Jesus, Paul held his preferences, his desires, his own culture loose. 
willing to give up things that he loved and instead become like those that he was there to reach. That by his solidarity with them, they might be more able, more willing to hear the gospel that he has to share. How might you be like Jesus, God the Son who came to save us? Be like Paul. How might you give up things that you hold dear about yourself? Non-core things to be like someone else, to meet them where they are at, to experience their world in order that you may love them by speaking the gospel richly, meaningfully, understandably to them. Where might you be willing to try weird foods or, or wear different clothes or learn a new language or culture that you may share the gospel with those who need to hear it? A small but very significant aside at this moment is to remember all of this mission is enabled by the Trinity. Uh, Acts 1.8, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Back in Luke 12, Jesus had said to his disciples, when you are brought before synagogue rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you'll defend yourself or what you say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you are to say. Because it is the Holy Spirit who empowers us for mission and evangelism, for this self-sacrificial, like the other, gospel proclamation. And I think we, we need to keep hearing these two big thrusts that we see in the life of Jesus. The example and call of Jesus to leave our comfort zone and to become like the other in order that we may share the gospel and see others saved. Because there are people all around the globe who need to know Jesus. That's why CMS, the organization that has sent so many of our mission partners that are hosting Coastal Mission Day next week, that's why they are on about. They're on about a world that knows Jesus. As we think a bit about what this could look like, I want to draw our attention to part of the world known as the 1040 window. That's this band of countries across northern Africa, the Middle East, most of Asia, uh, between 10 and 40 degrees north of the equator, that's that 1040 bit. There are 5.32 billion people in this part of the world. Two-thirds of the world's population, right there. 8,885 distinct people groups, and 70% of them, over 6,000 groups of people, are considered completely unreached by the Christian gospel. 3.3 billion people without access to the gospel or a church or even a Christian friend. Consider, if you will, Tajikistan, just to pick one, in the Middle East. Uh, there are 99.5% of more than 10 million people who live here in this country are unreached with the gospel. Most of them caught in the lies of Islam, worshipping a God who is no God at all. The Joshua Project, a Christian organization, they map this kind of data. They estimate that it'll take 222 gospel workers 
to see the gospel viably proclaimed in Tajikistan. Might you be one of them? Or to crank it up, India, 1.4 billion people, 80% of them Hindu, heaping idol upon idol, turning their hearts after God, after God, after God, and never finding the true God, Father, Son, and Spirit. A further 15% of these people chasing various other false gods, over 2,000 people groups, 1.3 billion people who are lost without Jesus. Could you be one of the 28,000 gospel proclaimers needed across the nation of India. And this, it, it's worth saying, this doesn't mean you need to be a full-time trained ministry genius, right? Many of you will have skills and training that will be useful across the world, uh, be it in, in allied health or IT, engineering, countless other areas, training that could get you access to countries like these that a bozo like me could never be led into. There are faithful saints around the world who are serving God in their secular work while taking opportunities they can to proclaim the gospel and support the local church in vital, kingdom-growing ways. And so I want to ask, could that be you? Or closer to home. Here in Australia, there are 31 unreached people groups. 180,000 Islamic Malay people. 135,000 Hindus from Nepal, 1,500 Tibetan Buddhists, just examples. Any of countless people around our very country who you might choose to move towards, to live amongst, to spend time with and invest in, in order that you could share the gospel with them and see them saved. Or even right under our noses. I looked at some ABS stats for the Central Coast this week. Uh, at the last census, 40% of Coasties expressed that they held no religious belief at all. 136,000 people who need to hear the gospel, who need people like you and me to share the good news of Jesus with them that they might be saved. Invite them to life course, perhaps. Further, there are over 70,000 people, more than 20% of folks who live on the Central Coast, who have parents who were both born overseas. Right? There are many from countries like India or the Philippines, thousands of people who at home will speak Mandarin or Spanish or Italian or Tagalog rather than English. Praise God for the diversity He has filled our church with. But there are countless others out there who need to hear the gospel, who need faithful proclaimers of Jesus to meet them where they're at, to dive into their experience and their culture so the gospel could be heard. Could you be a part of that? There is one other cultural group I wanted to bring our attention to at this point as well, and that's the LGBTQI plus community. According to one source, there are, over, there are almost 32,000 people on the Central Coast who identify as sexually diverse. 32,000 people who, like each and every one of us in this room, are lost without the saving work of the Father through the Son by the Spirit. 
It's a community of people I think we really struggle to engage with, to speak the gospel to, to love as God first loved us. We need to love those different to us. Jesus loved those different to him to the point of dying for them, for us, his enemies. He entered our world, became like us except for sin, showed us love, took our punishment. And so, brothers and sisters, please look for opportunities, create opportunities to get to know members of the LGBTQI plus community, to listen to their stories, to love them with gentleness and respect, to genuinely care for them as people, and to slowly, because it will be slow, slowly show them the glory and the beauty of the gospel of our Lord Jesus, God the Son who died for them, just as he died for us in our wretchedness and sin. Brothers and sisters, how might you, just like Jesus, leave what you know, what is comfortable, what is easy, in order to love, serve, and save those who are lost without Jesus? Because he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. How might you be sent like the Son?